0: Governor Bill Lee's healthcare modernization task force finally debuts, and listening sessions begin on 10 care block grants. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of October 7th. I'm Joel Ebert.
1: And I'm Natalie Allison. Uh
0: Natalie attended several meetings last week, as did a couple of our other colleagues here in the USA Today Network as Governor Bill Lee's uh, 10-care block grant hearings or listening sessions, I guess, around the state began. Uh, Natalie, it sounds like there were several hours worth of uh, testimonials and, and comments that people gave, uh, but for the most part, they were all pretty critical. Can you give uh, listeners an overview of what happened at the meetings you were at?
1: Yeah, they held three sessions last week. Uh, that was in Nashville on Tuesday, Knoxville on Wednesday, and in Jackson on the Thursday, of course, they had received quite a bit of criticism uh, a few weeks ago when they announced the locations for not holding a public hearing on this block grant proposal in Memphis, which is where there there really is the highest concentration of 10 Care members. Since then, the the governor's office in 10 Care said they're working on getting a Memphis public hearing before the last day uh, to receive public comments on the plan. That's October 18th. But they still, as of as of today, uh, as of the time of this recording, October 7th, they have not set the date for that Memphis hearing. Um, they're also going to have one in Chattanooga now on October 16th. But essentially, there were uh, at least 250 people who came out to attend these sessions over the course of those three days. Uh, between the three sessions, 70 people spoke out about what they thought on block grants. Um, a handful of those, I mean, maybe between five and 10 could be construed as neutral comments. Uh, the rest of them were were overwhelmingly negative. Um, and we, we didn't hear anyone who had something positive to say about the block grant proposal.
0: For the most part, were these people, um, from your view, giving anecdotes? Uh, were they literally pointing holes in the block grant proposal, the document that was released recently, or were they just kind of extemporaneously Speaking out about healthcare in Tennessee,
1: some people would have pointed concerns, and they would cite bits of the proposal that they thought were problematic. But for the most part, they were people sharing anecdotes about um, their own experiences, ten care patients, or their fears that if uh, this is enacted, that they will they will lose X and Y type of coverage, or that um, you know people people will die because they won't get the drugs they need. Um, that was mostly what we heard. Some people, you know use the opportunity to, to tell 10 care that the state should expand Medicaid, which wasn't the point of the, the hearings really. I mean, of course it's, the, the point is to hear what people have to say about it, but, um, 10 care couldn't respond to those requests to, you know, push the state to expand Medicaid or anything like that. And it's not up to 10 care. Um, but I talked to 10 care and, and the governor's office, um, after these and, and asked, what do you all have to say about everyone who, come out, who came out to these uh, public hearings saying that they, they thought this was a horrible plan? And, and the governor, uh, speaking to some of us reporters last week, said that he thought most of the people who were criticizing the plan did so because they were misinformed and hadn't taken the time to learn about it.
0: Here's actually a quick clip of what the governor said in response to a couple of questions uh, that we asked during an unveil that you can hear directly.
2: The first two uh, block grant hearings the public has the public comments have been fairly negative and against the block grant. What has been your response to that in the first two hearings?
3: And do you expect anything different? We're 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 listening and hearing what is said. I think there's a, a real opportunity if people will will look deep at this. It's a complicated a block grant proposal there's a lot to understand about it as it's certainly anyone can understand it if they take the time to do it it's a great deal for Tennessee it's a great deal for the 10 care population it likely will well it will result in additional services to those uh, 10 care um, to those that are that qualify for 10 care it will likely expand the number of folks that would qualify for 10 care so this is a Great opportunity for our state to serve more in a greater way, and we're hopeful that we can get it. What uh, if we can the, get it done. the
0: Tennesseans that have attended these gatherings and presumably will continue? Uh, do you have concerns that your message is clearly not getting out there? That they think that this is a winning product? And, yeah. And how will you take that into an account?
3: Yeah, I do. I do think that a lot of the um, folks that are concerned about this have not have been either misinformed or have not taken the time to really understand it and and there are there there's a legitimate concern about that. We want people to fully understand this. That's why we've added a couple more cities. That's why there's an online portal for understanding, but we'll receive their criticisms and then try to re-communicate with them to address the criticisms and concerns. A lot of the things we've heard are simply not true and therefore uh, we need to do a better job of getting the message out. That's part of what these meetings are for. Governor, some of the provider groups who know a lot about health care have concerns. How do, you, how do you address those? Well, we're, we're engaging them as a part of uh, the process. And we'll, we'll, Every time we'll get a concern like that, we want to communicate why we believe that concern is not valid. And that, that, that's going to be that's the process over the uh, public comment period.
1: And then I, I reached out to Ten care, um at the end of the week and, and asked them you know, if they had any comment on the fact that feedback had been overwhelmingly negative so far. And Sarah Tanksley, she is a spokesperson for Ten care, um, said that Ten care agrees with the governor's assessment of why people have negative comments about this, that they also don't think people uh, have taken the time to understand what the proposal actually says. Um, and, and I think she actually classified these the feedback they've gotten as as alarming that they're alarmed at uh, what they would argue as uh, a level of um, miseducation and uh, confusion about what the block grant would do.
0: Interestingly though, despite the confusion, despite not knowing people not knowing citizens not knowing the details of this plan according to the governor's office, these listening sessions were one-sided. They weren't a place where uh, there was the administration explaining things. There was no uh, pretense of that. It was literally the administration came to put these on and you can talk at
1: it. Yeah, it, it, it really, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, to, to criticize uh, people's lack of understanding of this proposal. When, when there's the, no
0: explanation. Right, when
1: at the start of the proposal... Um, the 10 care representative, his name was Aaron Butler. He was the one facilitating these. He, you know, he let everyone know that 10 care was not going to be answering questions on the proposal. So, so essentially you have this scenario where people are showing up in some cases, they actually did try to ask questions, but mostly just sharing what they were concerned about. Um, And 10 care, did not take that opportunity to respond to those concerns um, I'm I'm not sure if there was actually some kind of um, legal prohibition on doing that I don't know why there would be um, if they could you know respond to our questions and and statements and emails and things like that over the the last couple of weeks um, I'm not sure why they couldn't respond to people showing up to these forums with questions but yeah so it's it it doesn't make a ton of sense. They're they're upset that people uh, don't understand the proposal and are maybe unfairly criticizing parts of it. But they also haven't addressed those specific concerns when people brought them up.
0: From a distance, one might surmise they're just holding these for the sake of holding these. Um, but who knows? We haven't heard officially out of the administration what they hope to gain and what they will accomplish with these hearings from across the state, which are now being expanded to five as opposed to the original three after some criticism uh, that Memphis was not the second largest city, uh, predominantly um, African-American was not on the original three uh, listening session tours.
1: Right. And I did, I took some of those commonly uh, brought up concerns and I, I, Spoke to Ten Care about some of those in the end of the week and put out a story this past weekend, um, essentially fact checking some of those claims and and letting 10 care respond to those. So if you're interested, uh, you can check that out at the Tennessean.com. This week on the podcast, we have finance and administration commissioner Stuart McWhorter. Thanks for coming on. Hello, thank you. So you are the man who's been behind this healthcare modernization task force, something reporters have been asking about all summer, the governor announced earlier this year. Um, tell us a little bit about what that is for, for people who have no idea, who may not recall from the state of the state, uh, what that is and what you guys have been doing this summer.
2: Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to speak about this. Um, yeah, the governor, uh, when, when we were first... Elected to the office when he took inaugural, uh, the inauguration, and right into it, um, knew that healthcare was going to be a significant part of this first session and certainly in his first term, and was very thoughtful about the approach that he wanted to take in terms of uh, learning more about what the real issues were around the state. So, once session ended, you know he announced the task force at the state of the state. Uh, We wanted to wait until session was over and elected to go into a listening tour. And we spent essentially 90 days all over the state meeting with a diverse group of people, organizations, just listening more so than talking. Our our goal is to just uh, get as much input we could from a a, a diverse group of of individuals and and organizations. And we've gotten to that point now where we have got a report that we'll be uh, submitting tomorrow. Uh, along with recommendations of names for the task force. And so we're taking this phase two approach, and now the governor will have a task force that will uh, utilize some of the findings that we learned from the summer tour, and then begin working on recommendations uh, that that the governor can consider in terms of how to move forward.
1: So you, you all sort of quietly went about hearing recommendations from people, stakeholders around the state. Um, how did you all go about deciding who was going to be in on these listening sessions and, and when and where you should do them? How, what was that process like?
2: Well, we started off with a list of, of um, not so much people or organizations, but uh, areas of concentration, if it was payers or patients or providers. That was sort of the three large categories that we identified, knowing that those are the major players in healthcare. And we really looked at um, and, and not so much individual names and groups, but what areas and what topics that we wanted to try to learn from and, and get inputs from. And then we worked on a targeting individuals and groups that we wanted to speak to. Um, we also had a lot of inbound uh, suggestions and people asking to come speak with us. And we took those uh, and we, we tried to get as very diverse as we could in terms of getting insights, uh, knowing that not everybody's going to agree, and they're all passionate about certain things. But for us, it was important to hear what they had to say to make sure that we uh, just didn't leave anything uncovered in this part of the listening tour.
1: So let's talk about what they did have to say.
2: Well, I mean, it was, uh, depending on who you're talking to, it was people with Uh, They were advocating for um, access. I mean, a lot of it, quite frankly, everybody was talking about access. That overarching theme is how can we provide more access at at a lower cost? I mean, essentially, that's the overarching goal in this. So when you break that down, you talk about access. It could be access to physicians. It could be access to hospitals, it's how do you get access it could be things around transportation uh we heard a lot about the social determinants that really affect people's uh, lives and which is affordable housing housing transportation food insecurities nutrition education and awareness Um, heard about access to physicians I, i met with one hospital who said that they have patients drive by their hospital? They're still open, but they drive by because they just don't have enough physician coverage, and so uh, access to physicians in certain rural parts of the state we heard a lot about too. Um, so you know, it was a, a, on the payer side. Uh, we, we we engaged with a lot of discussion with payers, uh, so you get the whole discussion around insurance coverage. Uh, so you have a little bit of insurance coverage. How do you pay for it? You have uh, issues around just people with, that are uninsured, that can't obtain insurance, or they just don't qualify. Uh, and, then area, and then particularly, and we paid a lot of attention to what we were hearing in the rural parts of the state because Governor Lee is focused on rural Tennessee, uh, and obviously we know about the issues that are facing rural Tennessee with hospital closures, so we're trying to get a better sense of really what that means, exactly why, Uh, and, and that gave us, you know, lots of data to work with and, and suggestions that we were able to obtain from those discussions.
1: So obviously rural hospital closures is, is something we have heard a lot about from people who live in those areas who are concerned about that. Uh, The other thing is what you just mentioned, the number of uninsured people in Mm -hmm. the state. Um, so what kind of feedback were you guys hearing on how the state can address that?
2: That's, it's a, it's a, big lift i mean it's a it's the number one question that we got and i think in light of the fact that we have a number of uninsured tennesseans you want to understand what the causes of those things are i mean some of it is uh, a lack of workforce opportunities and so you know we want to we in fact i should have said this earlier we had as part of the work that we did in the listening tour we had nine including myself nine commissioners involved, state department commissioners involved in this. And ECD was one of those because we really wanted to make sure that we were bringing that discussion into the fold around economic development incentives for companies to locate to rural parts of the state or better yet, uh, provide incentives for existing industry in rural parts of the state. So how can they begin uh, educating and bringing in workforce—that um, was something that we talked a lot about. If you if you aren't employed and don't have the skills, you know, we we tie in a lot of what we're discussing with the governor's initiatives around vocational education and really focusing on some of the trades and technical uh, education. But it, it starts even before that. I mean, we're when you have discussions with communities with uh, that third grade reading levels aren't where they need to be. You start really getting into some of the, I, I go back to the social determinants. Uh, if you can't get a child immunizations or early childhood reading and the things you really want to focus on when the child is born in the state, then you know those things continue to compound over time and it won't allow people to either get a job or get out of their circumstances. So you know we really try to get to the root causes of some of those issues. So what that means is you, you want people employed and if they're employed, hopefully they have access to their employer's insurance. If they're not employed, what can we be doing to train and educate so that they can get employed? And if you're still up against other issues that uh, prevent that, and a lot of it's mental. I mean, there's a lot of mental uh, disorders we're all aware of what's going on around the state with that. We're trying to address the, the mental uh, disorder, the opioid crisis, all the things that contribute to that as well, where people just aren't, they're limited to what they can have access to. So we're trying to address those. But again, you end up with people with uninsu- with no insurance and there's going to have to be some solutions if it's, if, if it's not employer-based insurance, if it's not Medicaid or 10 care you know, what other types of things, creative, innovative things that we can do as a state to really provide seed capital to some ideas. I don't think the state or government should be the answer to this, but if we can bring market forces together to find other solutions to provide more insurance coverage to folks, that's what we really want to try to do.
1: And are the numbers you guys are working off now still uh, roughly 300,000 uninsured people in the state?
2: Well, I, I think that's a general rule of thumb we've been using. I know I, I read the, uh, I think it was an article today uh, that UT had done um, a, a survey commissioned, I think, by TenCare that might have suggested a number a little bit higher than that. Okay. Um, but yes, I mean, that's that's there's a segment, a significant segment of, of the population that doesn't have access to insurance, you know, just basic coverage.
1: And um, certainly there are... People who for years have been saying expand Medicaid, expand Medicaid. I have a feeling that that's not going to be the the strategy you all are going to be recommending to the governor as part of this task force, since he's he's made it clear that's not um, something he's going to do. Is that is that safe to say?
2: I, th- I think it's safe to say. I mean, you know, a couple things. One is he he said that, and uh, what the way I interpret that is, you know, this is a long term plan with a long-term solution we need to look at it's a heavy lift it's a lot of hard work uh it's easy to look at something that's immediate i.e medicaid expansion but i think there's a deeper issue here that we really want to look at now i say all that to say the the legislature did pass uh, a law around the block grant and we're in the process obviously as you know of putting that together um that, that in of itself, we have to wait and see what happens with that application. Uh, if if uh, CMS approves that, then obviously that becomes part of this overall task force conversation. Uh, if it doesn't, if we don't negotiate something, then that goes away. Does Medicaid expansion come back? I don't think it comes back in the context of just Medicaid expansion, but I think the same principles that that are around Medicaid expansion. I mean, the goal around Medicaid expansion is to provide access, coverage to more people. That's what our goal is. We're trying to do the same thing. It's just getting there is going to be a little bit different.
1: So so part of the um, the big-picture plan moving forward, what, what the task force will be working on and making recommendations around, is contingent on whether this Medicaid block grant is approved by the federal government. If it is, you guys can make your plans around that, around um, how that's going to affect... For better or worse, uh, members of Ten TenCare, it, sa- it sounds like the governor is saying this is going to be a good thing for those members. We can hopefully um, expand services under this plan. But if it doesn't pass, if it's not approved um, by by the federal government or I can't imagine this, but the legislature not signing off on it, whatever, um, then you guys would sort of have to start over again. So you, you just said something really interesting. You said you might take the principles of Medicaid expansion and apply that to whatever other solution you all would use as a plan B. Can you talk a little bit more about that and clarify whether Medicaid expansion would totally be off the table for your recommendations?
2: Well, I, I guess what I'm saying with the principles applies is the ultimate outcome. So, you know, The goal of Medicaid expansion is to provide more access, more insurance to more people the governor doesn't disagree with that. I mean, we also have to be fiscally responsible. And so we have to look at the right balance. Medic the the block grant is a piece of a puzzle, you know, when I think about the task force work, it's it's a 100-piece puzzle and Medicaid the block grant itself is a big portion of that puzzle, but it's not the entire puzzle. You know, we've got to look at a lot of things. If if let's just assume for a moment that the block grant gets approved and we start to work on implementation that becomes a significant part of the discussion but it's only part of the discussion Uh, i don't want it to drive everything that the task force is going to be working on um, but it will change some of the discussions that we have if it does get approved and passed uh if 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 we don't if we can't negotiate or it's not successful I think the governor and the task force can then, along with state departments, can really look at. Okay, we know that we can't get that. We're not going to do it. And and by the way, I think that what we've put forward in the block grant is very responsible and innovative. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see that we've got something out there that we've put forward to say if we do it, it's going to have to be this way. Uh, I'm excited about that. Um, which also gives me excitement about the task force and the work that I know if if we don't get this approval, I, I'm confident that the people that we're going to have as part of the task force will come up with something that will still have that creative, innovative Tennessee way. We have this opportunity to lead this the, the country in something that every state struggles with. You know, we're not the only ones that are dealing with all these issues. Um, and so I think we're just in a better position to do it because of that. and for for those reasons
1: and this is, this is being referred to as a modernization task force. So I think one of the um, points you all receive feedback on is that uh, the – the idea of telemedicine and telehealth is is underutilized in rural areas. I know that's something the governor has talked about for a while, especially mm-hmm. um, when you know, when he was asked on the campaign and in his early days as governor how he can uh, work to improve access to health care in rural Tennessee. So tell me a little bit about how you all plan to go about using something like telemedicine to actually make a meaningful difference for these people. In, in places where their hospitals have closed and, and sure. they have limited services things like that
2: sure no I think that uh, obviously the technology exists and and I think applications with telehealth and telemedicine continue to improve uh, I think what our goal is is to find opportunities where we can enhance that again I look back at um, the 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 state has the opportunity to convene and provide again I use the uh, come from this venture capital world so I use the term seed capital to To sort of get uh, convene the market, and if we can identify certain communities that has the infrastructure in place, and that's another that's a, another uh, question that we'll have to explore is in certain communities, do they have the infrastructure? Meaning, do they have the internet uh, uh, capabilities and the, where the technology could actually be utilized? If we if they don't, obviously we're going to have to look for ways to expedite that and make those investments. But let's just assume they do. So how can you repurpose certain, if it's a closed hospital, for instance, can we repurpose that with the right technology and infrastructure investments so that people do have access at least to some basic uh, con- consultation uh, with physicians that might be located elsewhere, uh, as, as, as an example. Uh, there's also other uh, technology applications that we can take a look at. I think the idea here is that if, particularly in, in areas where it's hard to get to, or you don't have physicians in a, in a physically located. How can you utilize technology to enhance that patient uh, physician interaction?
1: Have you all been able to see any data or? Um- studies or anecdotes from other states where they've implemented this kind of, um, I guess, state-backed push for telehealth?
2: Yes, there's, uh, in in that in the report that uh, you have there, there's actually some examples of states have, that have done certain things. It might be to a specific specialty, i.e. mental health. That's something that I can't remember which state, but there's... More than one state that has emphasized uh, telehealth and mental health, uh, physician, provider, patient interaction. Um, dental is another uh, example application. And we're actually having conversations with our own uh, Department of Health around how we can enhance um, just some basic dental services with, using telehealth and some of the health departments. You know, a lot of the health department clinics are located around the state. We need to utilize those access points with, help, with uh, technology.
1: I know that, um, you know, Tennessee doesn't doesn't rank great and you know, a number of areas related to health. You all have laid out some of those statistics, mm-hmm. um, you know, 43rd in, in early deaths, 44th low birth weight babies, 47th in the number of adults who smoke, uh, 38th in drug deaths. So, uh, for example, under Governor Haslam, he had set some benchmarks for um, goals to to reach on education and improving right. those outcomes. Are you all going to set goals to improve these? We will right here. Okay. We so, will. what what do you think some of those might be?
2: Well, I think that part of it is the work of the task force can help define you know what what those goals ought to be. Uh, you know, chronic illness is has plagued again the country, but in Tennessee specifically, when you start talking about where we rank in those uh, categories it's it's something that we must improve on the governor's focused on that. the question is how, how do you attack is it one chronic condition uh, one chronic condition actually could impact two or three other chronic conditions. Uh, we speak a lot in our report about the social determinants and I think there they contribute a lot of those do contribute to our chronic illness the uh, rankings that we have. So uh, whether or not we try to focus across a spectrum of chronic illnesses and what the root causes of those are and the solutions related to, to making those improving those results, or do we just focus on one? Um, you know, I know that previously in this last legislative session and last budget, Uh, we dedicated dollars towards smoking cessation there's been a campaign around that obviously it's a it's a significant topic of discussion Tennessee ranks pretty pretty well depending on how you look at it we don't rank well uh with smoking uh particularly in urban areas also in rural areas but particularly urban and is that do we want to do we want to take that as just one specific uh Topic and attack that. Uh, you know, I don't know. That's going to be a, a task force question, and, and and they'll come back with some thoughts on that.
1: And then finally, let's just um, speak generally about who is on this task force and what kind of folks you all um, are appointing, and, and what is even the process for someone being appointed.
2: Sure. So, uh, we the the goal that we set out uh, in terms of putting this together is we, would, we didn't want it to be so large in number that it you just can't get anything done we were very thoughtful about being uh, um, selective in terms of representation across the state
1: and what is the number
2: uh it'll be 24 25 people okay. um we haven't finalized it 100 percent. we're still having a, one more conversation but we have eight legislative represent representatives four from the house four from the senate and then the balance of that are external, external individuals that represent areas from social services, to intellectual disabilities, uh, home care advocacy, um, rural, rural component being both rural research as well as a uh, physician from the rural, one of the distressed counties, rural family practice physician. Uh, we have teaching uh, hospitals, uh, we have charity care, FQHCs represented um, behavioral health, we even have a, a a county mayor from one of the distressed counties serving on on this uh, task force as well. So it's a, a physician that represents a physician group, um, sort of in a mid tier part of the state, not a large urban, but not a small rural area either. So, uh, and it's it's a good mix, diverse uh, group of individuals that I think will bring diverse perspectives. Uh, very passionate about their views but we also want people that are willing to sort of set aside any personal agendas to think what's best for for the state of Tennessee I mean we were very thoughtful in that approach um, and we really hope that everybody will engage and give us insights and experience you know they all have they all bring a different um, a diverse set of experiences and, uh, and and our hope is that they can bring that to the to the task force for us to discuss
1: I know in your op-ed in the Tennessee and you mentioned that this was a, a diverse and bipartisan group of people yes um, so would you say that any of these people in this group represent explicitly Republican or Democratic groups or are any of the the legislators uh, Democrats
2: yeah the the legislative representatives uh, will have Republican and Democrat representatives. Uh, in terms of the individuals I don't really know if they're Democrats or Republicans but I think from a from a from a political perspective I don't know that but I do know that they represent a different populations of individuals uh, or or industry uh, that we just got you know the last thing we want to do is have a task force and we're we've omitted a particular Group or industry or organization because it's just not gonna, we're not gonna get the feedback we need if, if, if we do something like that. We wouldn't wanna do that in the first place, but that's where we're really thoughtful about bringing this group together and who was gonna be participating.
1: Yeah, well, these meetings will be open to the public. Yes. Uh, how frequently?
2: Uh, it's up for the task force to okay. to discuss um, but you know our hope is to to do it three or four times a year there they'll likely be some subgroups that form just depending on what the topic may be and that
1: uh, subgroups yeah
2: so you know we're we're everybody's busy. Okay. Everybody on here has, have jobs and uh, we want to make sure we're utilizing their time effectively. So it's going to be up to us to make sure that we're providing the resources available to get this moving. And, and, you know, we we don't want to just meet for the sake of meeting. The other thing I think it's really important is there's really no, there's really no timeline in terms of the task force to say, okay, we're going to convene for a year and then we're done. I think this could end up going on beyond, you know, it doesn't have a defined timeline, uh, I think it's just going to be a function of what kind of work comes out of it and what the governor wants to do with it, you know, and then it may morph into something else. I mean, I, I personally and I've seen this happen in other states where uh, there you end up bringing on somebody and and their job is to do nothing but this, and you're working with all the state departments, the ones that are obvious, obviously, you know, with, in terms of health and ten care and. Uh, mental health. I mean, you're working on specific policies and strategies. Uh, the governor knows that there's some short-term goals that we have to try to achieve, whether it's legislative in this next session or other policies that we look at. But more importantly, or maybe just as importantly, is really the long-term view. And I've said this many times. Our hope is that what we can do and what we may implement, hopefully, over the next seven years this governor may not get credit for. It might be two or three governors from now. I mean, that's the long view, but it has to start with these children that are born in the state, and what are we doing to provide resources for them to, so that they can be successful? And in the in the context of health, it's not just getting access to a doctor and a physician but it's, or to a hospital, but it's also about them being successful, everything that they do in life, health somehow is connected. Health care and health is connected to it. And that's really, it's that longer view that we have to take. It's not, we won't be able to accomplish that in the next 12 months or 24 months.
1: Well, I look forward to going to the first meeting. I'll keep an eye out on the the website, it seems like, is where you guys will announce that. We will. um, uh, Thank you for coming on, for talking about this. We look forward to seeing what happens.
2: Great. Thank you.
0: Joining me this week on the podcast over the phone is Simon City, the founder and head of Politicon, which is coming to Nashville later this month. It's essentially a who's who convention for political insiders to get together. Simon, thanks for joining me.
4: Oh, no, it's, it's uh, my pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: So um, tell me, first off, uh, you are the founder and head of Politicon, which got started in 2015. Um, tell me about the origins of it. How did the idea begin and where did it come from?
4: Uh, well, we, uh, came up with the idea of of touring political debates of some kind or another. My background is, is in concert touring, live concert touring. Um, and I wanted to bring that sort of, uh, fun attitude to, you know, political debates, uh, but we realised we'd never get the people we really wanted for long enough to do a tour. So it was like, well, why don't we just bring everybody together all at the same time? Uh, oh, it's Comic Con, so we'll do Comic Con for politics. That was kind of the, uh, the, the the sort of the germ of the idea, and it's grown into that. It's uh, it's really fantastic. We're in our uh, fifth year. We've moved to Nashville. We're really excited about that. Um, so, yeah, the, the idea was to just bring as many different people from different political, uh, uh, from the political spectrum um, to be in the same place at the same time.
0: I mean, is, is there sort of a, a central goal or purpose? You know, is this to really bring together conversations that weren't being had um, prior to this convention?
4: Um, I, uh, yes and no. We, you know, we wanted people to, you know, we're all political nerds and we love absolutely everything about politics and we follow it and we, we, you know, we're, we're as most people are these days, engrossed by the whole thing. So we wanted a place to to, to enjoy that and, and listen and see the people and the conversations that you know you wouldn't normally have. Um, uh, you certainly don't necessarily see them every night. You see the, 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 the principles on cable news and the news, news shows uh, every day uh, But you don't really get to listen to them And you don't get to interact with them And you don't get to hear opposing views very often And I think that's what Politicon really brings
0: hmm. um, You alluded to it a, a couple of minutes ago uh, You mentioned that you used to hold the first uh, four conventions I believe all in Los Angeles uh, Now this year for the first time you're moving to Music City uh, tell me about the decision. Why, why did you make that?
4: Uh, we wanted to bring it to you know, the heart of the country. Um, we knew that we were selling tickets to people. The majority of the people that were coming to Politicon in the past were in the you know, Southern California uh, area, and we wanted to change that. And We now know since moving uh, it to Nashville, our ticket sales are across over 25 different states um and so we know that our goal of bringing it to the country is working and we're getting people coming into Nashville which is uh, absolutely fantastic
0: and is that something you know uh, do you plan on doing this regularly in Nashville is this a kind of wait and see the success rate uh you know uh, what the reviews are
4: so far we're loving it and we're, we're we're gonna wait and see but uh so far, it's so far. It's been fantastic. So uh, we're very excited.
0: It certainly is a, a, a different place than California. We often in the uh, realm of, of Tennessee politics. Uh, the politicians here often rail against uh California as sort of out of touch in a different way than in Tennessee and and that's largely Republicans looking down on you know Democrats but I, I, you know it's a different place in terms of just geography right in the middle of the country versus having people all go west uh, was that part of the decision as well
4: absolutely we wanted people to come from all parts of the country which is fantastic and we know that we're selling tickets in in atlanta and chicago uh louisville kansas city and as far away you know we're definitely selling tickets to people from los angeles are flying people from seattle are flying in people from new york from miami you know from all over the country in fact we're even selling tickets abroad as well people Mm. are coming in from uh from canada and the uk and germany and all sorts of places so uh the, the move to Nashville so far for us has been uh, been fantastic. We're very excited about it.
0: So every year, and, you know,
4: it's, it's a it's a liberal arts city. Yeah, you know, you're a very modern, uh, forward thinking city in you know a very conservative state. So for us, it's perfect because right. we have you know we have all the demographics all in one place, which
0: is what we want. So every year uh, you have a lineup of speakers that has a a wide range, right? It it, it covers politicians, uh, people involved in the inner workings of government, journalists, comedians. Uh, The the speakers vary in political spectrum. Why is that important, and do you ever have that cause problems?
4: It's never caused a problem at all. In fact, it's it's our unique selling point. We we love the fact that we can get you know all sorts of different people to come to Politicon and to take part in Politicon. We do lots of great debates, you know, lots of one-on-ones with people, um, and we have some fantastic comedy and entertainment as well as you know as well as some very serious debates and panels. Uh, you know, so there's something for everybody, and you know you can't see everything. You you have to decide what you want to see. We have. Uh, We have five stages at Politicon and, you know, there's something going on 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 them all the time. So you have to decide what you want to go and see.
0: So we have an audience for our podcast that is largely folks that are in state government following Tennessee politics, uh, a lot of state lawmakers and other public officials. Uh, What particular you have, uh, I think, uh, about 40 panels or maybe more of choices of people to choose from this year. What are some of the uh, people you think or panels that our audience might be particularly interested in?
4: I hope your audience will be interested in every single panel that we're producing this okay. year. Um, <laughs> you know, we have got some, some great things. If people go to our website, baliscon.com and click on uh schedule, you can see some of the great, uh, the great events that we've got, but you know, just as a, as a selection, we have an evening with Al Franken. I think he's been in the news recently. I think it'd be quite interesting to see what he's got to say for himself. Uh, we've got a head to head with, uh, uh, Donna Brazil and Reince Priebus, both of them ran their uh, respective parties. I think that'll be uh, fascinating. Uh, a point counterpoint with James between James Carville and Sean Hannity. And uh, James actually is also going to do a big interview with Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I think that will be uh, amazing to, uh, to watch. Uh, but we've got lots of fun things as well. Randy Rainbow's coming, uh, he's a YouTube star that does all these amazing, really funny videos. Um, and that and music, that's going to be really exciting. And we've got some serious panels. You know, we've, uh, you know, uh, panels on, on impeachment. Uh, we've got panels on, on border security. We've got panels on all sorts of subjects uh, with people that really know what they're talking about. We've got lots of podcasts coming. So some of your favorite podcasts are going to be there as well. Um, and we have a big expo hall so there will be lots of booths and little activations and big activations and things like that. Lots of. Uh uh, people milling around and having great having a, a great time
0: and of course there's also several local ties you've got uh knox county mayor um uh glenn jacobs he is uh, uh yes. speaking as well as marcia blackburn our u.s senator uh who has a keynote speaker um what do you think uh she's going to talk about and 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 you know what's kind of a preview uh Tennesseans can expect from her
4: uh, we, we we don't have a preview. Uh, I'm I think she's going to be talking about subjects which are dear to her heart. I think she wants to talk about uh, tech, and I think she wants to talk about uh, you know building Tennessee up into this modern modern state. that uh, that you guys are, you know, you're bringing in so many companies now into into your state and into Nashville as well. Uh, uh, it's you know you're you're growing uh, exponentially fast, and I think that that will probably be uh, you know one of the things that is on her mind.
0: Of course, uh, Politicon takes place Saturday, October 26th, and Sunday, October 27th at the Music City Center here in Nashville. Uh, How can people attend it?
4: Okay, so go to politicon.com and click on tickets, and you buy a ticket. Um, And we're doing, you know, we do do a regular GA, but we also do a, a special discount ticket for students with ID And and military personnel with uh, military IDs as well.
0: Okay. Well, we uh, look forward to that weekend. I'm actually working that weekend, so I should be uh, able to attend and hopefully write about uh, a couple of the panels that go on. So, uh, Simon, I really uh, appreciate it.
4: If you're a political nerd, you're going to love political. We built it for you. We <laughs> built it for political nerds. Excellent. <laughs> it's everything you could imagine it, it being.
0: Well, again, thank you, Simon, for for coming on, and looking forward to Politicon this year.
4: Pleasure. I hope to see you all there.
0: And now, finally, our notebook dump. Uh, Last week, we reported a story that there were questions among uh, House and Senate leadership about a secret $4 million fund that was tucked into the $38 billion state budget, uh, specifically into the Economic and Community Development Department's Uh, Budget. This $4 million was essentially flagged by uh, John Lundberg after he heard Senator John Lundberg after he heard Representative uh, Matthew Hill talk about an upcoming grant that he was going to provide uh, to a uh, nonprofit in his district. Um, That led to concerns and issues about how that fund came about, and uh, Cameron Sexton, the House Speaker, and Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally have since uh, issued statements on the $4 million fund calling to question uh, whether those funds will go through.
1: Vice President Mike Pence appeared in Nashville on Monday, a joint appearance with Governor Bill Lee at the Tyson Foods plant in Goodlettsville, before later going to a private fundraiser for President Donald Trump held at a home in Franklin.
0: And finally... Governor Bill Lee appointed two new members to the Capitol Commission, which is essentially the board that could make a decision on the placement, uh, and ongoing uh, placement of the Nathan Bedford Forest bust in the Capitol. Of course, the bust has generated lots of controversy and protests in recent years. Uh, the new appointees by the governor are talk radio show host Halloran Hill and Jackson Police Department Deputy Chief Tyrese Miller. Both men are African Americans. That's it for Grand Divisions this week. As always, you can find us on Tuesdays, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Thanks for listening. We've got, uh, again, just to to fill you in, in a couple of weeks, we're coming out with our Rocky Top episode, so we're ramping up for that. Uh, We should be starting to drop some teasers and uh, information, so uh, check out our Twitter handle, at Grand Divisions 3, and you'll find out more. This podcast is produced by John Garcia and Erica Whitney. I'm Joel Lieber.
1: And I'm Natalie Allison.
0: See you next week.